know that I'm still feeling a little bit of fatigue post-coronavirus. And so last week we watched my second favorite YouTube video that just really jacks me up and gets me going. And I said if I was still feeling tired, we'd watch my first favorite this week. And I'm not really feeling that tired, but I want to watch the first one anyway. And so if you'll, we'll start it off, we'll all get jacked up, we'll get energized. Even though that Kahoot ended way more high energy than I was expecting a Kahoot to end. But we'll watch this and it ties into what we just did. Um, so I'll set the scene here a little bit because otherwise we have to be watching an eight minute video. But it is from the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Uh, we had a question about Mr. Michael Phelps. This is one of the relays that he was in. Uh, and they, uh, we're going to pick up in this relay coming into the end of the third leg into the fourth and final person for the end. And it's coming down to the, the top two countries in this race is the United States in second place and France in first place. And the French have a guy going into the pool. His name's Elaine Bernard. He is the current, at this time the, that this race happened, he is the world record holder in the 100-meter freestyle. And going in for the Americans is, in the swimming world, considered an old man. Uh, his name's Jason Lezak. And so that's where we pick up, and then we'll take, let the video show you how this video ends. as the anchor guy and Jason Lezak is going to have to make up some ground on Elaine Bernard who stands six feet five and can absolutely fly. I just don't think they can do it Dan. I mean Jason Lezak has been there how many times in his career has he anchored this free relay and medley relay but I just don't think he can do it. He's trying to ride that wave as much as possible. Bernard is pulling away from him. United States trying to hang on a second. They should get the silver medal. But Lezak is closing a little bit. Can the veteran chase him down and pull off a shocker here? Here comes Lezak. Guys, if that just doesn't, if that just doesn't get you going with American pride, then I don't know what does. Maybe you need to watch the whole race to really feel it. Look it up on YouTube. It's a good time. I watch it often just, you know, as a little pick-me-up. Sometimes if they, we're out of coffee, I watch that in the morning. It just gets me going. Anyway, like last week, not really related to what I'm going to talk about, just really wanted to watch it before I gave my talk. What I do want to talk about tonight is, do you guys know the game uh, Would You Rather? where you get pitted with an A or a B and you have to pick between which one would you rather do. So I have a couple of would you rathers to start off with that are my favorite. Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? This is the only picture I could find that, but I feel like the horses would be even smaller than that. But 100 horse, uh, duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck. Who thinks they would fight the one horse-sized duck? Okay, and then the rest of you would fight, who would fight the hundred duck-sized horses? Man, way more for the horse-sized duck. I, I know it's one opponent, but it is, that's a big duck. That is, that freaks me out. Okay, another one. Another one that I really like. Would you rather have seven fingers on both hands or seven toes on both feet? That guy has, has seven fingers and seven toes on both feet and hands. Would you rather have the extra toes or the extra fingers? This one's tougher. 
you got to think about it. Extra fingers might make you better at a lot of things, but, you, but it's way more visible. You can hide the toes. You just get extra wide shoes. But the fingers, you're not, you got to buy custom seven-finger gloves. That's got to be expensive, covering them up. He's got two thumbs and two pinkies. I don't know how that works. Anyway, so who would rather have seven fingers on each hand? Wow, everyone else is going for the toes? Whose toes? Are you guys that embarrassed by having extra fingers that you would commit to the toes? All right. Oh, my gosh. Okay, and last one. Last one. This is one of my favorite things to talk about on long road trips. Would you rather, if you won the mega millions, if you won the lottery, would you take the lump sum cash out now or would you take the payments over 30 years they call it an annuity annuity payments would you take lump sum cash out right there or would you take the annuity payments now if you're like I don't know how much the payments are I'll break it down for you the biggest mega millions jackpot ever won in 2018 was 1.5 billion dollars so to give you your money options if you took the cash now on that $1.5 billion, you would walk away with, I assume, a giant truck to carry all of this if they gave it to you in cash, $904 million after taxes. So taxes takes out about $600 million that you're missing out on, but you're getting $904 million right there. Or you take the 30 years of payments, which has a lower tax rate on it because they don't have to give you it all up front. And so... Every year you would get a payment. The first year's payment would be $26 million. And every year it would get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And over 30 years you would get an extra $100 million. Uh, you get $100 million more. So you'd end up with actually a billion dollars. But you're just getting it in incremental payments over 30 years. So knowing those facts, say you won the biggest uh, mega millions ever. Who would take the cash now? Who's like... 900 million is enough for me. And then who's taking the 30 years payments broken out? You get the extra 100 million. Yes, okay. And the reason, it's interesting. I like that. So you guys are all very well equipped now to win the lottery. Because most lottery winners actually take the cash uh, up front. They take the lump sum cash payment. And a lottery winner, a mega millions lottery winner is more likely than you or me or as an, an average person who doesn't win the lottery to declare bankruptcy. A higher percentage of people who take the cash, who win the lottery, end up struggling. They end up bankrupt. They end, deal with suicide. There's a high rate of depression. And many people who are married end up getting divorced after they win the lottery. Uh, there's a quote that I found by this guy. It says, the curse of the lottery is that it makes their lives worse instead of improving them. You'd think getting that much money, uh, that quotation's backwards on the front. Um, you think getting that much money would instantly make your life so much better. But in fact, the statistics would say that winning the lottery does not benefit your life. You're more likely for your life to go downward in trajectory than for it to get better. It does not take care of your problems, but in fact it actually creates more and makes the problems you have even worse. So tonight uh, we're going to be looking at a, a, a section of verses in Luke chapter 14 uh, where Jesus talks about 
a couple different things. And in that he details three different types of poverty. And I think uh, we're, we're very, when we think of poverty, we're thinking of like the money, right? We're thinking of a lack of money, a lack of resources. But Jesus is actually in this section of scripture. He's looking at three different types of poverty. Not just the poverty that we often think of with uh, money or, or objects. But different types of poverty. And we'll look at all three of those in turn. But he also reveals the only thing that can overwhelm, that can take over, that can help get through those types of poverty. And we'll get to that as well. Uh, but first, the first type of poverty we're going to look at is spiritual poverty. And we see that in uh, the first six verses of Luke 14. It says up on the screen, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, talking about Jesus, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath would not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So we walk in on a scene here in Luke 14 where Jesus is at a, the uh, dinner or lunch, sorry, with the Pharisees. And there's this guy with dropsy there. And the interesting thing about this is that this is kind of clearly, if you were listening to this, if you were hearing this in the first century, you would know like that's very strange. Clearly, the Pharisees must be up to something in this story because the man with dropsy, dropsy is a disease. ...where your body retains the fluid that it takes in. You swell up, you're disfigured, you look and, and feel very um, uncomfortable... ...and the body actually craves more water. You, you feel like, I'm so thirsty, I need more water. And the more water you drink, the more deformed and swelled up your body gets. And everyone would have known that something like dropsy at this time... ...would have made this guy ritually unclean. And so for him to be at the Pharisee's house... ...means that they must have brought him there... ...in order to try to put Jesus... ...into a compromising situation. Jesus even asked them... Uh, ...the question of... ...is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He sees through. And this man being ritually unclean... ...the Pharisees are risking violating... ...the rules of the time themselves... ...just to try to catch Jesus... ...just to try to see if Jesus will conform... ...to their expectations. They, they're expecting him... ...to heal this man, but they're not expecting him to, to be able to justify it... ...against the rules of the day. And we see here, we learn here that life with Jesus is frustrating... ...because he does not meet our expectations. Spiritual poverty takes root when we attempt to conform Jesus to our expectations... ...rather than allowing Jesus to form our expectations. And some examples just pulled out of, of things that Jesus says versus how we... ...act, how we talk, how we are, right? Jesus tells us in the Gospels to that he says... ...blessed are the peacemakers... ...and yet we constantly are inciting argument... ...just because sometimes... ...or we say whatever we want... ...or we do whatever we want... ...not caring what kind of destruction it causes behind us. Jesus says to pray for our enemies... ...and those who persecute us... ...but we would rather not be persecuted... ...and we'd probably... If we're honest, we probably prefer it if our enemies were just defeated rather than pray for good things to happen to anyone who we might consider an enemy in our lives. Jesus tells us to sell our possessions and give to the poor, but we like our stuff. And we give a little bit sometimes, and that's, that's good enough, right? Isn't that enough? Spiritual poverty takes root when we attempt to conform Jesus 
to our expectations of what he could be or what he, we think he should be in our lives rather than letting Jesus conform our expectations of his role in our life in the world and how we play into that as well. Second form of poverty we see in Luke 14 is emotional poverty. Uh, and that's in the next few sections of scripture, verses 7 through 11. It says, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come up and, to you and say, give your place to this person. Then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that the host will come up to you and say, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He tells this parable, they're still at the Pharisee's house. He tells this parable because uh, he notices how the people are behaving at this lunch. And they're scrambling for places of honor. And this culture at the time is a, is a very shame and honor based society. The closer you are to the host of the event that you're at, the more honor is visibly reflected on you. The farther you are away, the more shame. The context, the, the, the things that people are thinking and seeing about you are what defines you then in this culture. How close you are, where you sit at a table. And emotional poverty takes root in our lives when the opinions of others define us. And uh, a couple of Sundays ago when Trav was looking at this passage, he talked about the Enneagram. And that made me think about, uh, not the Enneagram specifically, but there's this girl I dated my senior year of college. And it's not Megan. And you're about to find out why. She was really into these personality tests. Enneagram wasn't... The uh, popular back then, there was uh, something called Myers-Briggs. There's a bunch of other ones that I don't know the name of at all. But she was really into these personality tests and we would take them and then she would look at my results and then she would look at her results and she'd be like, oh no, you're a INFP or whatever the Myers-Briggs letters are, and, but I'm a ENFJ or whatever. We can't, how are we dating? It doesn't line up. The test says so. And she took so much stock into what these online tests said about her and who that meant she was. And then at the time, I was also following along with that, um, that this personality test, the opinions of somebody who created an internet quiz was mattering and defining who we were and who we were trying to be. It would be almost like we took BuzzFeed quizzes and lived our lives by that. That's how much stock I have in the personality quizzes. No shade if you are into that thing, but I am not. And so it'd be like if I was like, which Avengers Affinity War character am I, am I based on uh, your Disney movie preferences? And I took the quiz and I was like, I got Iron Man, Tony Stark. So now I'm going to live my life like Iron Man because BuzzFeed quiz told me to. The opinion of the BuzzFeed quiz creator is now defining my life. Or maybe this one, blending two things I love, Marvel and Harry Potter. Which Avenger are you based on how you rate the Harry Potter characters. I took the quiz and I got Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow. But now what do I do? Do I listen to this quiz or do I listen to the other quiz? Am I Iron Man or am I Black Widow? Or am I neither? I don't know. If we were to let the opinions of others define us, that is how emotional poverty takes root in our lives. Rather than letting Jesus' word, the Bible, God's word, 
let that be the defining thing that, uh, in our lives. The third type of poverty in Luke 14, next couple verses, eternal poverty, continues in verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, least they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Uh, and this, what he's getting at here is this idea of something uh, called quid pro quo. Do you know what this means? Anybody? Generally. Yes. This for that. You do something for me, I'll do something for you. Excellent. Appreciate you just shouting that out there, Brady. It, it's looking at this idea of immediate gratification, right? The man that Jesus is talking to is saying he's invited these people because he knows he's going to get that dinner res invite next week. He's going to come immediately. It's going to be a place of honor he's going to get to sit at because he invited his rich and powerful friends to this dinner. There's a sense of immediate gratification there. And Jesus is telling us that eternal poverty takes root when we prioritize our present comforts rather than looking at it in the context of what Jesus and the Bible tells us is a reality of the world. And what I mean by that uh, is kind of like, um, I've told this story before, but in case you missed it, I don't like retelling stories in talks, but so like real quick synopsis and then it has a point, I promise. Uh, in college and then post-college, uh, I had a group of friends who used to call me Princess Nick. Yes, you, some of you have heard this story before. If not, now you know. You can call me Princess Nick. I will probably respond. Is because I was very into being comfortable. I liked things the way I liked them. I didn't like to do things outside my comfort zone. And I have a very strong personality. And so when somebody tries to get me to do something I don't want to, there is resistance from me immediately. It's just my natural personality. And so... Princess Nick was born, and after I graduated from college, I lived in this house with a couple of guys, and I shared a room with one of my friends. His name was John, and John used to come in, and I lived a very lazy life at that time. Often, uh, I, would, I would get in bed at like 6 p.m., and I would sleep for a couple hours, and I'd watch TV all night. I lived a very strange, weird, houred life. But John would often come in and, and document me in my, my natural habitat, as he would say, uh, and this is one of the Snapchats that he took of me. See, you can, he put a nice magnifying glass there to help you spot me. You must be shapeless, formless, like water, camouflaged, one with the bed. I would just kind of dig into the bed and get real comfortable. We didn't have heat in our room, so there's like 12 blankets on top of me. Uh, and, and I just would get in there and I'd just get real comfortable because I did not like to do things I didn't want to do. I did not like to be uncomfortable. I wanted immediate gratification with every situation I was putting myself in. I wanted to be happy. I wanted that situation to be good for me, even if it was something simple like the temperature in our room. And what Jesus is saying here, that last line in verse 14, if you can throw that back up on the screen, that last line in verse 14. Oh, actually, I had it on that next one. Never mind. He says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He's talking about not like in the movie Soul where we are little blue guys, but the resurrection 
is a physical resurrection that Jesus is talking about. And he's saying, why are we so concerned with the immediate gratification of the now when we should be focused on the pleasures of the resurrection that are more than we could ever imagine or even handle? And yet, we settle for mediocre instant gratification right now, putting us in eternal poverty. And so... As we, uh, as we head to small groups tonight, the question that we're going to be thinking about is which one of these three poverties, which one of these types of poverties do you feel like has been taking root in your right life? And remember at the beginning I said Jesus does not just identify these poverties, but he also reveals the only thing that can overwhelm such poverties, and that is the gospel. And we know what the gospel means. It means good News, there it is, good news. And we, we are like the guy with dropsy, right? We are bloated with sin, but we have this unquenchable, insatiable thirst for more. And the good news is Jesus pulls us out of that situation of despair through faith. Unlike the guests at the lunch in Luke 14, Jesus left his place of honor so that we could sit there instead. Unlike the host in the parable of the wedding feast, Jesus did not serve in order to be repaid, but served and gave his life as payment for us. And we are repaid at the resurrection of the just, he tells us. And unlike the man with the great, at the great banquet, Jesus did not invite his rich friends, but the poor instead. And he invited those who sin against him, who are blind to the fact that, they only, that only through him are we truly satisfied. He invited you. He invited me so that we might in turn invite others to join us. The other spiritually poor, the other emotionally poor, the other eternally poor. We are all invited and called to invite as well. Because the gospel, the good news is that through faith in Jesus, all types of poverty are overwhelmed. Uh, So we're going to continue that discussion in small groups tonight. I'm going to pray for us real fast. And then uh, Alana will come up and in case anyone's here for the first time and let you know where you're going. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we get to dive into your word, that we get to to, to find out about you and about this life that you allow us to be a part of, your mission in the world. God, we love you so much. Be in each and every small group tonight. Let, Let the spirit flow through everyone here. If there's a question on someone's heart, let it be asked. If there is a doubt, let it be put out into the light so that we can see that your word is true, that your word is just, that through faith in you, any poverty that we might be feeling can be overcome. God, we love you and we praise you. And all God's people said...